All right, well, it's great to be back this evening, and uh, we tried to make sure Brother Reed was relaxed for tonight, so we went and threw a bunch of lead downrange today and just really got relaxed by doing that, so uh, hopefully his preaching will just be really, really comfortable to, no, not really. We did throw a bunch of lead downrange today, though. We had a good time. So uh, anyway, Brother, you come and share with the Lord right now. Here, practice. What is it, Brother Joe called it, uh, lead therapy? That's a good way of putting it, yes. Uh, we're practicing shooting the gospel gun. Am I good up here? Do I got this on right? Okay, we're good? Okay, well, it's good to be back here with you tonight. Glad you guys made it. Let's go to John chapter 15 tonight. If you take your Bibles and go there, John 15 is where we're going to be at. I was going to mention uh, with the shooting today, I think uh, the other part of the afternoon I was tasting gunpowder in my mouth, and uh, that's a... That's a really good taste for a man. I think they ought to make like a gunpowder cologne. You could spray it on you or something like that. Uh, I think, what is it, Brother Joe told me, he said, that gun's good enough to make a grown man giggle. And so that's true. I, it was good. We enjoyed ourselves. Well, trust that you had a good afternoon and uh, a good day as we just uh, maybe spent part of the day today just remembering who our Christ is. And I appreciate the song that uh, Brother Cody just played. Uh, that's the first time I got to see what color his hair is. Um, <laughs> All right, okay, we're back. We're in John 15 here this evening. We're going to only look at three verses here this evening. We're going to look at the first three verses, and, and then tomorrow, if the Lord continues to direct this way, we're going to continue dealing with several of the verses there uh, in John 15. Uh, this passage, it likely you've probably heard uh, many messages preached out of this. It is a well-known passage, uh, and, and there's a reason for it. Uh, if ever you come across a cliche statement, it's because there's, there's uh, significance to it. Uh, certainly John 15 is not cliche, but it needs to be repeated on a regular basis. We need to take time in John 15. This is a part of a larger discourse that Jesus gave, John 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, these are the words that uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples as they go from the upper room uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's so much here that is so theologically rich, but there's almost also so much here that is so simple and helpful. And we need to take time to rest in the work of John 15. You say, what does that mean? Well, this evening, we are going to be dealing with the topic of the husbandman. It's what Jesus introduces to us in, very, in the very first word of, uh, verse of John 15, and the illustration that flows from John 15 flows from the work of the husbandman. So tonight I want to preach a message entitled, Don't Resist the Husbandman. Start with me, if you would, in John 15, verse 1 is where we're going to be at. We're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Jesus speaking, he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
hear Jesus speaking clearly to his disciples. And he is setting up an illustration that's going to mark the next few verses. And truly an illustration that explains the Christ life. Or if I can put it this way, what does it mean practically for Christ to live inside of me at salvation and for Christ to flow out of me? It's the abiding truth, the illustration. We'll look at it more uh, tomorrow night. But most of us are familiar with this imagery. And Jesus is setting it up, explaining to us that he is that central vine. Of course, the image that he is using would be that of a a grapevine, a a grape arbor, a vineyard there. And maybe some of us would be maybe familiar with that. Uh, We might be more familiar with an apple tree, but it's the same principle. Where you have your main trunk, your main vine, as Jesus calls himself. And he is saying, I am that true vine. And my father is the one that tends that vine. Ye, he will say later in verse 4, ye are the branches that flow, that, that come out of that vine, and then from that extend fruit. So it's clearly a picture of a vineyard or an orchard, and he's starting this out because he wants us to understand his position in our life, our position connected to him, and the overarching person over all of that being the husbandman. In a vineyard or in an orchard, and probably from now on out I'll just say orchard because that's likely what most of us are more familiar with. In an orchard, we want that tree to grow, do we not? We want fruit to come from it, do we not? Of course we do. But there is always one person over all of that who is taking care of the orchard to assure that it does grow. And his name is the gardener, the tender, the husbandman. And I want us to take a look tonight at what the husbandman's role is, because this is what Jesus is saying to us. He is saying, I'm the vine from which all life flows. So if you want to have life flowing from from you, you have to be connected to me. But keep in mind, my father is the husbandman. He's the one that watches over his branches. He's the one that watches over the tree. He's the one that makes sure that branches in his orchard are doing well. And so over all of this is the husbandman who does a very good job at taking care of his orchard. Keep in mind, it is the husbandman, God, who is the one who's the vine dresser. You are not the vine dresser. I am not the vine dresser. My wife is not the vine dresser for me, and I am not the vine dresser for her. God the Father says, I am the one who is the husbandman. I am the one who have taken great detail and attentiveness to see where you are at and to help you grow and to encourage you in this area and to prune in this area because the husbandman says, I want you to bear Much of the message that we're going to be dealing with here this evening comes out of verse 2. The work that the husbandman does, the purging and the pruning and the cleansing, we're going to look at that here in just a moment. But if I jumped straight to verse 2 and just looked at, hey, here's how the husbandman works in your life and works in your life and works in your life, we might welcome it, we might be tempted to resist it unless we remember who our husbandman is. In other words... You cannot appreciate the work of the husbandman, the father, until you remember who he is. Your husbandman is not a lazy farmer. He is not a backwards farmer. He is a farmer who is very wise, very attentive, and knows exactly what you need as his tailor-made branch. And he knows how to assist and help and lead in your life. I want you to imagine with me. Uh, you are you, you uh, have arrived at 50 years old. You hit your 50th birthday. So some of you, that's 
thinking backwards, right, Brother Albie? You're thinking way back. And then for some of you, you're thinking forwards, right? So, but imagine with me, you hit Brother uh, 50. I'm not trying to take, tease you or make fun of you, Brother. Hey, he took us or picked us up from the airport, so I feel like we got a bond, but maybe we don't. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, uh, so you imagine with me, you've hit 50. You're looking ahead at the years ahead of you, and you're thinking, man, I, I, I'm pretty tired of the 25 years I spent in my career at that one company, and I'm, I'm kind of at that midlife crisis point, and I'm ready to move on to something else, but I'm not ready to retire. And so you're starting to reassess your, 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 uh, your assets and your wealth and your future, and you're looking at things, and you, you're driving home from work one day, and you drive by 50 acres of an overgrown orchard, and you think, that was an orchard where I picked apples as a kid. That used to be a booming place. I bet you we could clean that up. I could buy that, clean it up, and, and bring it back to full production. And your mind is just rolling as you're driving home, and you're thinking, this is going to be great. That's my retirement right there. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to buy that parcel of property, and I'm going to clean it up, and I'm going to help those trees grow, and we're going to have a booming farm here. And you, by the time you get home, man, you're excited. And so you come into your spouse, and you say to your wife, you say, hey, 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 I have figured it out. I'm going to quit my job, and we're going to buy that old orchard there, and uh, we're going to take, take our, the nest egg that we've saved, and we're going to invest it in that orchard, and then I'm going to spend a whole season working on it, and I think by this time next year, we're going to have a bumper crop. And your wife is looking at you with rather skeptical eyes, and she wants to follow you in this one, but she's not sure. And so you crunch the numbers and you look at the profit margins and the costs and you finally convince her and she jumps in with you and she says, okay, I'll follow you in this. So you quit your job and you take your nest egg and, and you go and you uh, get with the, the lawyer and you figure out who has the deed and you buy the property and you put in all that money into the 50 acres and you set aside a little cash to do some work. And so they've, they've, they've given you the deed and you now have it in your hand. You just spend all that money and in the evening you and your wife go out there to look over your old orchard and you start to think to yourself, oh boy. And your wife elbows you and says, this better work. And your reality is starting to hit. And you're thinking, oh, man, this is quite an investment. Like, I've just jumped in with two feet. Uh, this has got to work. So in that position, because now you've invested heavily in that orchard, you're not going to sit back, kick up your feet, and say, well, if it grows, it grows. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. No, what you're going to do because of your heavy investment is you're going to get up early the next morning. And you're going to get out there with your, your, your string trimmer. And you're going to start cleaning things up. And you're going to get out there with your pruners. And you're going to cut branches off. And, and you're going to start researching in the, uh, the uh, uh, horticulture magazines about what, uh, what disease sprays that you got to use. And so you, you're going to spend days and weeks and maybe even months prepping this. And, and you're watching your trees as the spring comes and the young buds are coming out. And you're noticing which trees have a little bit of disease. And so you do some research there and find out how to take care of those trees. And, and then you learn that deer are jumping over the fence. And so you run over here and you fix this. And you're, every day you're out there inspecting watching why because you are so invested and your livelihood depends on whether or not that orchard grows could I put it this way church family our heavenly father is even more invested he allowed his son in fact he made a way he planned that his son would come to this earth for who wretched sinners like us undeserving people who left to ourselves who will always rebel and God decided 
God chose to, to take his son and give his only begotten son and Christ's blood, sweat, and tears were paid on the cross of Calvary for our salvation and for our sanctification. God the Father is incredibly invested in his branches. He's wise and attentive. That husbandman who's invested begins to watch his children, not, not standing off aloofly. No, he is watching with great detailed eye. And he's noticing where my, a young man is allowing some disease to come in. And he's noticed an attitude of a young lady that's not right. And he's noticed a grandmother who's just gotten complacent in life. And so he's working and adjusting and bringing things in and guarding here because he wants you to bear fruit. He's not just wanting fruit, he wants a bumper crop. In the words of John 15, he says, I want much fruit. So the husbandman that is over top of his orchard is not one that stands back who is resistant. No, it is one who is lovingly invested in his orchard. And so because of that heart, because of his, his the intense love and because of his intense involvement and investment, now we come to verse 2. And what is it that that husbandman does with his orchard? Now, let me just pause for just a moment. I want to just make sure, I want to settle one thing to, so we're all on the same page. Branches. Are branches save people or unsave people? Okay, I heard one person say it. Saved. Do we all agree with that? The imagery that Jesus is setting up is he's saying, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's saying branches that abide in me. You're connected to me. An unbeliever cannot abide in Christ. Okay? He's clearly dealing, the imagery here is God the Father with Jesus and his children, meaning us. Okay? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page because I want you to notice what he says here in the next phrase. He says in verse 2, we, we know Jesus is the vine, the Father is the husbandman. So now he says in verse 2, every branch in me. So clearly we're dealing with believers. Every branch in me. So if he's talking about you in this verse, raise your hand. Okay. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Well, I find this fascinating. You realize what John 15 is actually helping us see? There are times when his people stagnate and do not grow. That does not mean they are not his children. But he does say, I take notice when my children do not bear fruit. Why am I making a big deal out of this? Because we need to recognize, church family, who is the husbandman and what our position is and what Christ's position is. I have been in too many conversations in several different churches where it seems that gray-haired elderly people who have given their life to being in church and feel that they've earned a certain level of status because of their age have sat back in their pews and declared themselves to be self-avowed fruit inspectors. And they will declare that they have a sixth sense of perception on where people are at in their salvation and their growth. And I have even talked to men who have sat there in their church and analyzed and criticized and bitterized, if that's not even a word, I'm going to use it that way, who with, with that critical, cynical tongue will tear down everybody who has ever struggled in their church. And often throwing out the statement, well, I'm just a fruit inspector and I don't see fruit that makes, you think, or makes me think that you're saved. 
To someone who is not growing but who is in Christ, that statement does not help them. And I want us to see from this text that Jesus says, you can be a branch and be in me and not bear fruit. Now, it's a tragedy. Verse 6, we're going to deal with this tomorrow. Verse 6 reveals the tragedy when we do not abide. Believers who prolong not abiding in Christ stop bearing fruit. They stagnate. They die. And the only thing that those branches are good for is to be cut down and to be burned. That's not dealing with hellfire as much as it's saying your life is worthless. And so the, the husbandman notices, hey, if I've got a branch that's not bearing fruit then I have a responsibility to take care of, to do something with that branch. Now, may I ask you, church family, this is a rhetorical question. I want you to answer inside of yourself. Do not answer out loud. Could you say, as you search your own soul before the Lord, do you bear fruit often? Does the life of Christ flow from you? Because we've all been in a place at times in our life or because of sin, or bitterness, or frustration, whatever it is, we've stagnated. Now, look what he says. To, to every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he says, this is my responsibility. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, that, uh, at first glance, it would, we would assume that that means cut the branch off and be done with it. But that Greek word, taketh away, uh, actually has two different ways it's translated. One is to mean to cut off and remove, and that certainly you'll see that in the context. And the other way it's often translated is to lift, which I think we'd also see in this text later on. That'd be Wednesday night's message. What the text is helping us see is when a branch doesn't bear fruit, the husbandman knows what that branch needs. And there are some branches that refuse to, uh, to, to yield to the Lord, and the only thing he can do is cut them off. Ananias and Sapphira it would be an excellent example. But there are other branches who do, that do not bear fruit that the husbandman says, you're not bearing fruit, but I believe you will bear fruit if I would but lift you. See, in the men who would uh, have grown apple trees, and maybe there would be someone here, uh, but in, in the study that I have done, if a tree is young and immature, a branch that is growing but young, if it, the blossoms are full and the fruit comes out fully on that tree, if the branch is not sturdy, if it's not uh, strong, that branch may tilt. And especially in the uh, um, fruit, uh, the, um, excuse me, grape arbor, grapevine uh, illustration, it would tip and it would tip and it would tip. And the men who have done this have at least told me that if that branch touches the ground, if that overladen branch touches the ground, that the fruit will actually rot right on the tree and it will not grow. So what does a good husbandman do? He recognizes the conditions of his branch. And he realizes where this one's not growing. Instead of just saying, well, you're a dumb branch. No, in tenderness, he recognizes if I but lift him, he'll continue to grow. So a good husband takes a forked stick and lifts it and props it up so he can do whatever he can in his power to assist the branch to grow. That is your father. And he's looking to do that for you. So you say, so which one is it? Is every branch of me that beareth not fruit taketh away? So does that mean he cuts it off or, or does that mean he lifts it? And I think the answer is yes. Based on the condition of your heart, have you stonewalled the Lord? Or is there a tenderness that you would say, Father, I've stagnated, but I, 
I'd like to grow, whatever that means. I believe that God's primary desire is never to cut, to burn, but always to lift. Friends, would you be willing to go to the Father and say, Lord, it's been a long time since I've seen anything eternal come from my life. Lord, it's been a long time since I was aware of the need for me to be submitted to you. Lord, it's been a long time since I've given the gospel. Lord, it's been a long time since I've texted a friend or called someone to give a word of encouragement. Lord, it's been a long time since there's been fruit in my life, and I feel like I need to be lifted. He will do that. He longs to do that. He says, I've taken notice if there's no fruit bearing, and I will do what I can to bring you back to fruitful. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. But look at the second phrase. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So we've got two different, illustr- or two different sides of this in this text. He's saying, okay, I'm the husbandman, and I've noticed that there's some branches that aren't bearing fruit, and so we're going to have to deal with them. Either cut them off if they won't bear fruit, or, or lift them if they would bear fruit. And then we've got some branches over here that they've been growing a lot of fruit. And I still have a work that I have to do in their life. I would guess, church family, that most of us in this room are probably on this side. The bearing fruit side. I would guess that most of us have, 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 have recently had a time where we were uh, uh, sensitive to the Spirit of God and, and taking time in prayer and, and walking with the Lord and we've seen God use us and, we, and we've taken steps of obedience. I would guess most of us are on the bearing fruit side. So if that's the case, then we can all say, whoo, we've got it covered and we're doing well and Jesus, you ought to be proud of us. Well, actually, he says, even to my branches that bear fruit, I still have a work to do. What is his work? Purging. Every branch in me that beareth fruit says he purgeth it. What? He purges it? That sounds painful. That sounds difficult. No, it's not because I'm trying to be a pain, and it's not because I'm trying to be difficult, but it's because I recognize you've been bearing fruit, and I want you to bear more fruit. So I must purge. Now, this word purging is often understood, it can be translated two different ways. Again, one way purging can be, the the Greek word can be translated is cleansing. Another way that purging is uh, translated is pruning. And both are seen in this text because verse 3, he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. And in verse 6, he clearly is talking about removing branches. So so you say, "Well, well, which one is it? And again, I believe it is yes. Does the husbandman, have you allowed the husbandman to do his cleansing work in you? Because if you are a follower of Christ, and if you are a disciple of Christ, and if you have been walking after him, then when you spend time in his word, what does he do? Boy, he cleanses. When you come and sit underneath the preaching of God's word, what does he do? Boy, he cleanses. And with another another believer, and you're having coffee together, and one challenges you, and the Lord begins to speak to you and say, I'm speaking through that brother. What is it the Spirit of God is doing? Cleansing you. Why? Because you've been bearing fruit, and I want you to keep bearing fruit, so I must keep the process of cleansing. He says in verse 3, now you're clean through the word. If I can put it this way, one of the greatest ways that God does his purging work in us is through the declaring and the reading and the meditating of his word. May I put it this way? 
Do you let the word call the shots in your life? Who has the final say, teenagers, in your life? Young men, ladies, young men, who has the final say in your life? For some of you, you're still in your parents' home. That's wonderful. Someday you're going to be out of your parents' home. And your parents will no longer have the, the final say in your life. You need to determine right now the word is going to have the final say in my life. May I ask the adults in this room, does the word have the final say in your life? What I mean by that is you find yourself wanting to go down one path of life and the Spirit of God through His Word directs you and says, that's not the way I want you to go. Are you going to let the Scriptures call the shots in your life and say, okay, I'm giving you the authority to lead me, to instruct me, to, to deal with me? In your time in the Word, do you go into it to read the Bible just to check off the list? Or do you go into the Word because you're saying, Father, as a fallen creature, I need to be cleansed. Do you give priority to the cleansing Word? I don't know if I've mentioned him yet or not. My, uh, my grandfather on my dad's side is a very, very precious man to me. But he was not always that way. Uh, when I was a kid, my grandfather was always a very rough, gruff person. I liked being around him on the good days, but if anything broke on the farm, it was like you wanted to get out of his way because the wake was going to be bad. And I understand that maybe if I had been an older boy, I would have seen things differently. But as a younger boy, I just remember being scared of him. And it was because he had had a very difficult past. My grandfather grew up as a dairy farmer. God had saved him and called him to preach. And he went off to Cornell University to pursue ministry. And while he was there in, in college, his father, who ran the family farm, became very, very ill. And so my grandfather, in an effort to honor his dad, left college, went back to the family farm, and ran the farm uh, so that his father could come back to full recovery. At that point, it had been so many years trying to get his dad back to full recovery that he gave up on going to Bible college and, and married a girl, my grandmother. They had four children, uh, and, and from that, my dad being the firstborn, I would come later on from that. But their relationship was rocky, and it didn't always go well. And about 23 years in, my grandmother and my grandfather divorced. It was never a, a loving relationship and very quite painful. And it's amazing they made it that long. But they finally divorced after 23 years. And then, it was not long after that, my grandfather found another young lady and they got married. Unbeknownst to him, she was a drug addict. She left him within two months. He pursued her and pursued her and pursued her, but she wouldn't have it. So now he's lost half of his things again. And he's again wifeless. And he's in the spiral going downward, downward, downward. He finally meets a third lady and marries a third time. And, and this one would stick with him. In fact, she's, she's been incredibly good to him. He's, they are still married to this day. So she is my second uh, grandmother. She's my step-grandmother. When I knew my grandfather, he was, as I said, always a little bit rough around the edges. He had wanted to walk with God and, and he wanted to do right. And in fact, he... He even farmed, uh, farmed all over the, the eastern seaboard. And every time he was farming in a church, they, or farming in a uh, community, he'd go and find a good church. And, and he, if you all know where Warrington is, you know Warrington is, he went to Trinity Baptist Church in Warrington, uh, Virginia. They had a, church, a farm there. And he farmed in Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Maine, New York. He was all over the eastern seaboard. But again, a rocky past. So after marrying this third lady, finally getting to a point of retirement, my grandfather 
moved to Florida, and they were in a, a really good church, a retirement-aged church there in Florida, and, and the pastor that he got under was just a, a man of God, a wonderful expositor of the Word, and he loved his people. And one Sunday, the pastor was preaching on the power of God's Word, and he began to challenge the people about the Word. My grandfather has told me this story multiple times. The preacher got up there and he was talking about the power of God's word. And he said, okay, i got to ask you, church, how many of you have read through the entire scriptures, Genesis to Revelations? You've taken God's entire book. You've read it all. Raise your hand. And, and hands went up everywhere. Retired age group. This is 70s and 80s, 60 years old. Yes, we've all read the word. He said, boy, that's wonderful. How many of you have read it, the entire scriptures, cover to cover, two times? grandfather was sitting there he could raise his hand on the first one as they've asked for two times he he began wrestling in his mind he said well i did old testament survey and new testament survey in college and, and all my years of being a christian and reading the bible and being under the scriptures i'm sure i've read it two times collectively and so to save face he raises his hand and everybody's raising their hand we've all read it two times and the pastor says boy that's good how many of you five times you've read it five times how many seven eight nine hands are dropping People can't raise their hands anymore. 10, 11, anybody, anybody 12? And finally, there's no more hands up, and the pastor looks at the congregation. My grandfather's sitting there, and he says, shame on you. You're all retired and have all the time in the world, and you won't give enough time to God's precious word. My grandfather said, that day I felt such conviction because I knew I had tried to live my life outside of the Word of God. He said, I hung my head that night and I made a decision right there and then. I said, God, I will never neglect your Word again. His decision that night was 10 chapters a day. He said, Lord, I want to I be in your Word. I've made many mistakes in my life. But Lord, from this point on, I'm going to be in your Word. That was about 15 years ago. Maybe 16 years. My grandfather lives in Texas now. Would it surprise you if I told you he is now a changed man? The last time I was with him, I said, Grandpa, how many times through the word? He says, well, you know my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. He's got macular degeneration. He said, but I just finished up 52 times. His language has changed. His music has changed. His heart has changed. His self-righteousness has changed. So much of my grandfather is a different man. And it's not because today he's in a better church than he was in in Florida, but it's because he gave priority and let the word do its cleansing work. Friends, I can't emphasize it enough that when you and I just let this word wash over us to spend time in his work, uh, word, excuse me, the work he does in our heart, he says, hey, you're my children, you're my branches, and you all have been bearing fruit. That's wonderful. So you need more cleansing. A tree left to itself will bear a great amount of unproductive branches. In a season's time, a, a farmer, any farmer will tell you whether this is blueberries, whether this is apples, or whether this is peaches, or, or uh, 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 
any one of your major fruits, they'll tell you in a season's time, a farmer will have to cut half to three quarters of all of a season's growth. He'll have to cut half to three quarters of it all away at the end of the season so that that tree next season has a chance to grow well again. I was with a man just recently, and he has got a blueberry farm. He says it's actually, he says it's very painful for me. At the end of the season, I go out there and I look at those big bushes and how well they grew all year. And he says, and I know what I have to do. And it hurts me to do it because when I'm finished with all those bushes, they look like just skeletons of what they were. He said, but if I do not prune, they will not bear. You give an apple tree three seasons of no pruning and it will grow itself right into stagnation. One person put it this way, better to be cut to burn than, or excuse me, better be cut to bleed than cut to burn. See, Jesus says, if you've been bearing fruit, I not only want to cleanse you, but if you've been bearing fruit, I must prune you as well. So here's my question for us this evening, church family. When God has endeavored to do his pruning work, do you let him? Do you embrace it? Do you love it? Do you ask for it or do you resist it? See, I think for most of us, at least this is the case for me, and, I, and I've heard this from other people as well, because punishment is painful, as a kid you get disciplined and that hurts, right? Because punishment is painful and because pruning is awful, often painful, we assume that when there's pain it's because God's punishing us. Keep this in mind. God does not punish his children. He does not judge his children. He did that to Jesus Christ on your behalf. What he is doing now is pruning his children. Which means he's looking at you and saying, my child, you've, this last season you've borne fruit. Man, you gave to the church. You gave your time. You gave your money. You witnessed to that person. You started spending time with me in prayer. I've been using you. This is wonderful. And so now I must prune more. And we think, but Lord, I've grown, so I shouldn't need this. And when the Lord allows our washing machine to go out, and the Lord allows our tire to be blown, and when the Lord allows us to get laid off or for the stock market to dip or to rise or the insurance to go haywire, we step back and we say, Lord, I don't need this right now. Or we say, Lord, I've been serving you. I don't deserve this right now. How many times does our father say, oh, it pains me, but my child not doing this because I don't love you. I'm doing this because I love you. My child, I'm not doing this because you haven't borne fruit. I'm doing this because you've borne fruit. You need this right now. So may I ask you, friend, what do you do with the work of the husband and wife? When I was finishing up Bible college, my uh, there was a young lady that I was very interested in, had prayed for quite some time about her, and I was convinced that I wanted to marry this girl. Her name was Emma Swanson. She would later become Emma Reed, my wife. When I finished college, God had used me marvelously. I was the uh, student body president, and I, I don't know how to describe it other than to say, God, in, in that last school year, God did some, some miracles in our student body that to this day, I, they almost make me tear up because it was clearly God was at work. And as I graduated and finished that time, I, I had really grown that year. 
and now I'm ready to pursue a girl, and we're going to get married, and this is going to be great. My parents were all about it, and, and so I came home to work, and now I'm going to go back to seminary, and me and Emma, we're going to start something, and this is going to be great. We're going to ride off into the sunset, and, and I'm packing my car to go back to seminary. The day I'm leaving, my mom, who all summer we've been praying about, yes, Caleb's going to move forward with this. This is great, and he's going to go start the relationship. My mom comes out of the car, or out to the, the car where I'm, I'm packing, and she says, Caleb, I'm not really sure if, if, if you're ready to pursue a relationship. And I'm thinking, are you not? What? What? We've been talking all summer about this. I mean, we, we agreed on this. How is this possible? And she said, well, there's just some things we've noticed this summer that have concerned your dad and I. We're just, and, and you know, of course, every teenager's like, 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 like what? Like what? Like what? And she names them. And I'm thinking, those are so little <laughs> Those are such small issues. And one of the things that's going through my mind is, if that had been such a big issue, why didn't you talk to me about that my sophomore year? I mean, why now? And I'm wrestling. Of course, I didn't realize that my sophomore year, the Lord had a, plenty of other things to work on. <laughs> and now I'm at a place where he can start working on those things. But I'm, I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. And I, you know, hug and kiss my mom and my dad, because you should do that. And I climb into my car, and now I'm driving from Maine to Wisconsin. That's a long drive, right? And the whole drive, I'm just agonizing, like, God, I've been growing and no one appreciates it. God, I thought I was doing right and no one seems to, what's going on? And the whole drive was just this agony and this talking to the Lord and frustrated and wrestling. And I finally get, 22 hours, I finally arrive at school and I get in and I'm just discouraged. I have a cloud over my head and, and I just can't believe it. I've grown so much and now he's doing this and... And I get there, and someone's like, hey, we're behind on mowing. Can you jump on one of the mowers and help us? And I say, yeah, that's fine. And so I get on a mower. And so now, for the first time in 22 hours, I sit on this mower in quiet, and it's like the Lord could finally get a word in edgewise. And the Spirit of God, I'm so whispering me so clearly and saying, Caleb, I'm not doing this because you haven't grown. I'm doing this because you have. I'm not after you. I'm just pruning. And when the Spirit of God did that in my soul, I began to realize this is not for my punishment. This is for my good. This is a work of God. What he's doing is he's revealing a few areas that, hey, if th these areas continue, they're going to hurt your marriage, and I want you to get married. So, Caleb, I'm going to bring, bring these things to the surface so that you can grow. Friend, has it been a long time since the Spirit of God sent his sword to cut to the quick of your heart and say, that's hurting me. That attitude needs to be adjusted. How many times we say, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and you can't teach me this because I'm too old for that. And the Spirit of God is saying, but you're my branch and you've been bearing fruit. So I need to keep pruning. I'll finish with this, church family. Would it not be foolish if the farmer sharpened his instruments and walked into his orchard to come up to his prized tree who has grown so well this season. And he knows that now this branch and, and this branch, if I allow this branch to go, it's going to end up eventually clouding the light. And, and this one's going to take good nourishment. And so I need to remove this one and that one. So you've got the tree there and he's in his orchard. Boy, the tree's been so grateful. I've done, a, I've done a really good job this season. And the farmer comes up with his sharpened instrument and he's about to cut. And the tree says, uh-uh, uh-uh, <laughs> no. I like that branch. You are not allowed to touch that branch. And so the farmer says, well, okay, I'll 
I come over here, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh. <laughs> nope. Can't have that one either. My mom gave me that one. Can't have it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take this one. No, 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 no. I paid too much money for that one. Can't touch it. <laughs> take any other one you'd like, but just not my favorite ones. How foolish would that be? And yet, how many times are we in the exact same boat? Where the Spirit of God begins to confront us and say, that television show has been prompting you for quite some time. It's actually hurting you. We say, no, Lord, no. This is, this is the show my wife and I always watch. You can't touch that one. And the Lord says, all right. Well, then I'll work over here. We say, no, no, Lord, no, that's, that's, a, that's an expensive subscription, and I really like that. You, you can't touch that one. Well, how about I work over here? Lord, that's how our family has responded for years. That's not a bad attitude. We're just that way. You've got to understand that. And what happens is in our desire to be obedient and grow, we resist his pursuing work. And then three seasons go by and we're no longer growing any longer. And a pastor begins to scratch his head and says, I don't know what happened. They were doing so well and then... You know, something happened in the housing market, but I thought they were weathering it, and now they just live with a bitter spirit. Friends, keep in mind, your father loves you so much. He wants to bring you to greater fruitfulness. Any work that he is doing in your heart and anything he has allowed into your life He is doing it because he promises us, I'm working this for good. Even if it looks bad, I'm working it for good. Would you embrace the husbandman? Tonight, we're going to close the message. But I want to encourage you with one more statement. This has been helpful to me. It was written by a man named David Paulison. David, in the declaring of this truth has helped me see the tenderness. He says, this this pruning is not hedge pruning, it is vine dressing. He does not come in with large sweeping chainsaw motions, hitting as many branches as possible. The Lord is not on a time crunch trying to get as much work done as a short amount of time as possible. He starts with snips. He cuts one branch here and one branch there. Carefully, intentionally, and gently cutting away. Would you want to resist that kind husbandman? May I challenge us this week, friends? Would you tell the Spirit of God and the Word of God that He can do His full work? Would you be willing to say, Lord, if there's anything in my heart, you touch it and you can help. A young lady, or excuse me, it was an elderly lady, was in a well-known church, and a young evangelist came to the church to preach revival meetings. And at the beginning of the revival meeting, the old lady said, Now, Lord, I'm in my 80s, but Lord, anything you deal with me this week, and I'll let it go, and you can have it. It was a Sunday through Friday meeting, and after the Friday night service, the little old lady came down to the young evangelist, and she said, Young man, you've done a very good job, and I'm sure glad you're leaving. And he says, "Well, Well, why is that? And she says, because when I gave the Lord permission, I didn't realize what things he was going to touch. She named that night, she said, God touched my soap opera. (laughs) 
But she said, I told the Lord I'd be obedient. I don't know the rest of the story to that, but if I know how the Lord has worked in me, every time I have let the husbandman take a branch, you know what I've always found? It's only produced more fruitfulness. It's the pathway to fruitfulness. Can I ask you to bow your heads with me tonight and close your eyes? I want to encourage you, friends, maybe tonight God has spoken to you. Maybe there's a book series that someone's been reading in this room and God's begun to deal with you about something that in that book series. It's not helping you, it's hurting you. Maybe there's a form of entertainment that has been in your house that God has been saying, this grieves my spirit, it's not helping me. Maybe there's someone here uh, tonight that God's begun to deal with you about an attitude. And maybe for quite some time your wife has been saying, "Hun, this attitude is hurting our grandchildren, it's hurting our children, or vice versa. Or, or, or maybe there's someone right now that you're going through a trying time difficult time financially or health-wise and you're so tempted to say, Lord, I don't, I don't want this and I don't need this, but would we tonight simply humble ourselves under the good hand of the husbandman? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say, Lord, you spoke to me tonight and I know it. You touched me. I heard you. And I'll be honest, Lord, I heard that you're trying to get through to me and I, and I heard it. If that's you, if the Lord spoke to you about something tonight, would you raise your hand? You'd say, yes, Lord, you spoke to me. Yes, number of hands. Why don't we do this, church family? Let's, let's stand together. If you're, if you're able, physically able, and the piano is going to play tonight, and here's what we're going to do. If God has dealt with you about something this evening, an act of humility is simply to sit back down to, with the Lord, to come forward, to go to the back, but to say, Lord, I need your grace to yield. I'm going to humble myself. Father, I, I yield myself to the work of the husbandman. Father, I don't understand all you're doing, but I don't want to resist it. I'm doing this because you love me, and I'm so grateful.